Coming to you from the Dietitians and Nutrition Support Dietetic Practice Group, this is the DNS Member Podcast, where we explore topics relevant to our field. From support line content to nutrition celebrity interviews and everything in between, this podcast is where DNS members can go behind the scenes and explore the driving forces behind cutting-edge nutrition support. I'm your host, Christina Rollins. Let's get started. and thank you for listening to the DNS podcast. This episode was recorded as part of the DNS and DMNT DPG joint reception at the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics Food and Nutrition Conference and Expo. It is my great pleasure to introduce our first guest, Carol Reese Parrish. Carol is a master's prepared registered dietitian nutritionist with 39 years of clinical experience, specializing primarily in nutrition support and GI disorders at the University of Virginia Health System. If you have ever completed a literature search involving nutrition and the GI tract, odds are you've come across Carol's work. So Carol, thank you so much for chatting with us tonight. Uh, thank you for having me. I, it's a, a great honor to be here and, uh, and I, I appreciate the interest. So before we jump into our content questions, I really want to ask, what initially led you to focus your energy on the GI population? I actually almost left the field of dietetics <laughs> the first two years of my um, career because my supervisor was not very supportive and uh, never wanted to try anything new um, and was very oppressive. I fortunately met a gastroenterologist who was very progressive at the teaching hospital I was at, and he took me under his wing and in a sense protected me from my supervisor, really helped me along the way. And I grew to love the GI tract, although I did have a couple of sidebars where I became a renal dietitian for a while and I, I even became a, a diabetes educator for a while. So I sort of dabbled in those first few years of practice, but I always came back to the GI tract. Well, you're very good at it. So I'm so glad that you did. <laughs> in your session, you used a case study format to discuss nutrition interventions associated with a high output ileostomy. So certainly this is a very complex topic and you, you really explain it with such finesse. So what do you find is the most challenging part for caring for this patient population? Well, as the case study demonstrated, it, it's, it may be finding the patient because they can be admitted at outside facilities and the, the hospital that might have placed the ileostomy in the first place may have no idea what's going on in that patient's life. And one thing I learned from all the literature review I did was there needs to be a lot more work and what's at stake is so significant. We're talking about someone's kidney function. Um, and that's what really uh, stood out. And I realized that we really have to be better about this. But what happens is these patients get admitted and everyone wants to immediately discharge them. And so sometimes the biggest hassle is trying to get the primary team to keep them in the hospital long enough so we can do uh, what we need to do to stabilize them. And this takes some time. We can't 
throw a bunch of medications at them and expect them to do, to do well. We really need to systematically choose a, choose a medication, alter their diet, you know, and see what happens and then tweak some more. And this may take several days of a hospitalization. So sometimes it's a conversation with the team saying, you know, at, at what point are we going to, um, you know, the buck stops here at some point and we've got to get it right for this patient so they actually can go out and have a life instead of spending their days in the hospital. Do you find that when you, when you pull the inter, interdisciplinary team together and you, you almost front load that effort, do you find that it, you know, reduces subsequent hospitalization and improves their care for the long term? Well, you know, we haven't, since we implemented our, our new strategic plan, we haven't actually gone back and looked. The surgeon said she looked and she had seen a decrease, um, but we haven't actually looked at, at the data because we really got this off the ground um, last, late last fall. And, um, but it, it certainly, our, our patients now know what to do. They all go home and they measure their urine and ostomy effluent. And they know that if their urine output drops below a certain number, they're to call us. So I believe that we are intervening much earlier than before. But until we actually go back and look at the number of readmissions, um, I, I can't really answer how effective our um, program has, has been. Very good. Well, thank you. Um, we did have a question submitted that was related to dehydration. So it said, I have a patient who is admitted frequently for dehydration related to persistently high ileostomy output. She usually has a great appetite and tends to overindulge, which of course leads to noncompliance with the diet recommendations. Um, so specifically, the question is, are supplements such as Metamucil beneficial in this situation? And I think I would broaden that to say, what else could you do to help this patient? Sure. Um, Metamucil will not decrease the admissions because taking a fiber supplement, although it can thicken stool effluent, it does not hydrate. And that's because the fiber that you take absorbs the water and out it goes in the stool. So what I like to do with a patient like that is to sit down and have a real authentic talk and ask them what their goals are. And you know, do they value their kidney function? And do they realize that the risk down the road, and I don't do this in a way that I'm threatening or trying to scare them. I just want them to understand clearly what's at stake. And often when I talk about the, ki the kidneys and that, you know, at, if, if the kidneys are damaged enough that they could end up on dialysis, that frankly invariably gets their attention. And what often I find patients don't realize is what they drink, you know, the difference between what they drink and how if they're not absorbing it, their kidneys don't see that fluid. So I have to take it down to that particular patient's level of understanding so that they get what I'm saying when I say there are some people that if you drink more, you will actually have more diarrhea and you don't hydrate yourself and your kidneys won't see any of that and that's how they get hurt because they don't ever get, um, get the fluid, you know, uh, we don't get the fluid to the kidneys. And so I, 
haven't had too many patients once I really go into that explanation. Um, they they look at me very differently and they go, now I understand, now I understand. And and so then we lay out a plan of hydration, whether it's oral, whether and some patients I have to back them off way down on their oral intake. And those are the patients that often will need IV fluids. And I just explained to them that that their ticket is to, for them to be able to make 1,200 mils of urine a day. And I show them what that means. I, of course, always give them a urinal specific to the gender and tell them how valuable that is for me to help them. And when you encounter a patient who is, you know, in this situation, non-compliant, or maybe, you know, maybe it's, it's intentional or it's, it's not intentional, they just really don't understand how, what is the time frame that it takes for a patient to get to that point where they're needing more serious intervention, they're, they may need to go on dialysis. I mean, is this a quick turnaround or does it take some time to develop? It, de it depends on the patient. You know, it, it, usually it's around admission day, admission three, when they finally go, I don't like being here. And I'll say, well, I, I, I have a way to keep you out of here, but it's gonna require, you know, us working together. And I, tr I really try to spend time figuring out what the barriers are for the individual patient to follow through. Is it financial? Is it they don't have a supportive spouse? Is it, you know, what is it? And then I try to go after what that thing is so that we can get them better hydrated and keep them out of the hospital. And I try to be there for them. I, I, I want them to know that um, I will do everything in my power to keep them safe but that it's a two-way street and they really need to work with me. It can't, I can't go home and, and feed them and tell them what to drink in their home. They really have to do the work. Do you find that, that people are generally receptive to that message when you, when you, you know, meet with them about it? Yes. I, I think they, they get that when I show up, every time they get admitted, I'm there, you know, I, they, 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 they get that I really do care about them and that I want them to do well. And, you know, there's a, a rare patient that doesn't respond to that. There, there, we all have those patients that it doesn't matter what we do or say. Um, they're, they're, they're just not happy in their life and they're not going to do anything that you ask. But that's really, that's really rare for me to, to find a patient that doesn't want their life better. Um, sometimes it's just getting them through that period of, you know, they have an ostomy and they're reeling with that. They don't want it. And I have to give them time to get used to their new life. So I have a, I, I have a wide, I give them a wide berth. Let me just say that. <laughs> okay. Uh, so for those of us who you know, may encounter this type of patient, but certainly not on an everyday basis. What is the most important thing that a dietitian needs to know when they're developing their nutrition intervention? Well, uh, uh, the focus, well, first, of course, you want to make sure that they're nourished. Most of these patients don't have an absorptive problem. They're actually well nourished. What 
I have to focus on, and most of them is just the hydration piece and, and find out um, you know, what they're drinking, what are they willing to drink. And sometimes I have to compromise. And if I get the, and I'm always looking at their meds. So I do spend a lot of time with their meds because um, you know, there are some that are on so many meds and if I can get rid of those, I will decrease the volume of their stool output by virtue of them not being on a medication that drives their output, plus the liquid that they have to drink that might drive that output. So it's, it's, it's all about the details. And just when you think you've got things under control, somebody comes along and orders another medication that actually drives the stool output up. So it's constant you know, communication with the primary team or a new team that comes on board. Um, I'm in a teaching hospital, so every two weeks our, our teams change. Um, so I, you know, I, I think really getting them to understand how important the, the drinking is, and if not, the IV hydration is to, to keep them safe. Very good. Well, thank you so much for sharing those insights. With that, we will conclude today's podcast. Thank you for listening and be well.